0: So, um, here we are. This is very really inspiring. Welcome back, Linus. Nice to see you here. Um, yeah, so many faces. It's kind of fun. You close your eyes and then you open your eyes and there's twice as many people here. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to talk about today came about because of a conversation I had with a friend of mine yesterday. Um, I wanted to talk about how we uh, evaluate. Evaluation. So, first of all, um, just always to come back to why we do what we do and why we look at these things. You know, the first noble truth, we aren't completely satisfied. The second, because we always want what isn't usually, something more, something less. The third is possible to to be content if we stop this if-only behavior, okay? And the fourth is how we go about the various things um, to train ourselves to help us do this. So. The Buddha is always trying to teach us ways to help us see where we go wrong. Though his style, a very practical style, instead of, as we all know, idealistic, this is how to be, this is who we really are, this is how to be free, was like, look at the problem, look where you're hung up, keep looking and see where you're stuck. And uh, it's such a practical way of doing things. It's so accessible this way, rather than us trying to have to make ourselves what we're not or wish we were. Let's just see who we really are. And um, one of the ways we can see, which really helps us, is to to see not just how we are, but how life is always changing. And so how futile it is to keep wanting something if it's leaving us because it's it's leaving anyway. And and another way is to see the characteristic of how um, nothing is exactly separately what it appears to be. It's there because it's actually part of a much bigger you know set up it 's a conditioned thing it 's not a, an isolated thing conditioned reality Anatta. that whole principle um, the the whole thing of the unsatisfactoriness, where we get into trouble, how we struggle dukkha the third of these characteristics uh, he emphasizes so much it 's so so useful i find so we can look at the various um, experiences that we have and by looking more. By looking closely, as we do, which is what we practice, we're looking, actually, what's happening here. We start seeing the various shortcomings and the various um, just problems that we run into in being who we are. Slightly embarrassing for a while, but it's the only way to become liberated of ourselves. So um, one of these things that we can look at, which is. Again, like last week, I know I was talking about the eight vicissitudes and how we tend to just want the four and not the other four and so on. Um, I just want to look at how we evaluate, how we impose value on top of life, constantly, constantly, constantly. The thing about all these things that we do, we do them without realizing we're doing them. And so we keep on doing them because we're not conscious. Our whole practice is to make us more conscious of what we do and why we do them and the effects of doing them so that we then are less likely to keep doing the ones that aren't necessary. It's why we look. So when we look at our evaluation of things, We, first of all, have to, to some degree, do all these things. We need to know when things are good things to have or things to avoid because they're dangerous. If food is going to be nourishing or poisonous, we need to be able to do this. And, of course, that's how we survive, given. But we, we have gone so far with everything we do, way beyond what's necessary. So we have an experience, and we immediately, unconsciously, evaluate it. This is good. Any and every experience we do this, or this is not good, or we miss, we just aren't even, we're oblivious a lot of the time, but we, there's the experience on top is our evaluation of it, the value that we impose on it. Based on that, we then go ahead and either have to chase after it or acquire it as we know or avoid it or all the various strategies we do to apparently then be okay in the midst of these eight vicissitudes as I talked about last week. What we don't realize is just how utterly arbitrary this evaluation is most of the time. It isn't actually so. Things aren't actually good. Most of the time, they're just things, but we make them into, oh, yeah, this is great. Well, first of all, things, especially in this culture right here, are, are so um, just amplified in our consciousness. We have far too many things and they're all turned into being attractive so that we will accumulate them for the whole sake of business and profits, which we know perfectly well. How many cleaners do we need? How many shirts with how many different stripes on do we need? And so on. You know, we have completely overemphasized the value of things. We know this. This is pretty obvious level. So we have far, far, far more things than is necessary in all of those cupboards. You know, all you have to do is move house. <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> and when people have—I have never had this happen—but when people have lost everything, like a fire, you know, they, one of the things is just all those wonderful things they love. But on the other hand, it goes like, "Gosh, how liberating!" Because we get so weighted down by all this because we have put such an emphasis on needing to have these various things, things, things. But we don't just—it's not just things we value. We, of course. We value highly beauty, for instance, youth, for instance. And look how arbitrary that is. You go to some other culture, what's considered beautiful. I don't know if that would be beautiful in this culture. I remember being young years ago, seeing some photograph of um, in National Geographic. It was a sequence of photographs describing how this particular procedure um, was done in some tribe, somewhere or other, some beautiful young woman's back, smooth, shining, a series of cuts, a bunch of stuff, I don't know, dried leaves and earth and stuff, rubbed in there and it heals with these row of bumps. And then it shows, you know, days and years later, this body increasingly covered with patterns of bumps for beauty's sake, you know, it's like, oh, I don't think so. Or, um, you know, different various tribal, you know, long necks. What about the 18-inch waists, you know, from our past? What about um, days, I know in the past, but when you go back enough in the past, you see the ridiculousness. In the past, when um, skin that was lily white was so attractive, and if you had darker skin, you looked like a peasant. And now, tanning salons (laughs) as much as you can and, how many products you can have to not have such lily white skin? and uh, I mean, it's just, it's clearly completely arbitrary, apart those kinds of values. Health is one thing, but beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, it isn't necessarily, uh, you know, intrinsic. Then as um, ourselves, <laughs> you know, our... Uh, the way we judge ourselves, the way we evaluate ourselves, sometimes just the very being of who we are, are we okay? Are we good? Are we not good? Are we good enough? Are we worthy? You know, so often it's our behavior, often it's our ability. If We, if we aren't able to do things and while we value less, are we only valuable if we can function in certain ways? And it's We just completely have tied ourselves into this little prison of being valuable according to some terms or others somebody's terms or other when it's our whole culture it's really hard to see we're doing it but we just need to travel which is one of the reasons why we like to travel is we step out of what's assumed to be so and we see it from a different point of view it's refreshing it's also puzzling you know it's like oh that isn't quite what I thought So we start to hopefully question what our standards are. How about aging? This whole conversation came about because I was, this whole talk came into my mind because I was having a conversation about aging. The dilemma of moi, for instance, it's a dilemma, but here am I in that towards the last shake, I don't know, quarter of it. And, uh, and my friend and I are the same age. We were having a conversation, and he, and he is having a harder time coming to terms with his lessening abilities. He happens to be a fitness guy. He happens to be a mountain man. He rides bikes and surfs and climbs trees, and he's physical. And he, you know, he has damaged shoulders and damaged knees, and he's broken his hip before, and he's got all these various, you know, restrictions. So he, we were talking about how hard it is for in aging. And so, uh, you know, he was describing how he'd just been listening to Dr. Andrew Weil talking about the values of aging. And actually, it's really a good idea to think of the good things that happen when we age, not just the bad things that happen. So we were talking about good and bad around aging. So there's the the bad things of aging that, he, you know, he can't run as fast and he's liable to break things quicker and those kinds of things. And sickness happens more frequently and pain is more probable and um, faculties are diminished Et cetera. We all know about that part. Death looms ever c- closer with every passing day. We know this. We lose the people we love. We know this. We know all these the difficult things around aging. And he said that this doctor, Dr. Weil, had been saying, let's counteract that by thinking of some of the valuable things about aging. So what's valuable about aging? We, um, maybe we've got a little wiser. Maybe we have a little broader perspective. Maybe we're not quite so stressed out by the smaller things that bothered us when we were younger. Um, maybe we have a little more uh, financial independence. Maybe we have a little less to have to achieve, having maybe achieved some of it. and Maybe now we can relax a little and be less stressed. Maybe we have retired. Maybe we have more time for ourselves to play. Maybe we have more freedom to go. Maybe you have less responsibilities because the kids have now moved out and they're taking care of themselves, as mine have, for instance. So yes, there's a lot that's also lovely at this time of life, for instance. But what I said to him was, is it possible to just have aging be aging, not have to see it in terms of good and bad? We evaluate these things. Races, you know personalities, performance, and that boxes us in. Can we just not evaluate so much? Surely the freedom of growing old isn't so much being able to look on the bright side of things, which is not unskillful, but from a Dharma point of view, it's not have to evaluate in the first place. The Dharma point of view, the Dharma view view is the broadest perspective it's possible for a human to have. I was just driving to visit with this friend yesterday and on the side of the road, you know, when you're up and up high every so often, very nicely, the roadways people put aside a, a lay by and they say viewpoint. It's like a gift for the driver because especially see far, some lovely valley view or something rather is nice. We like to see far The Dharma view, the view that the Buddha is trying to teach us all the time is, let's see far, let's see broadly here, what's going on. Well, the Dharma view of aging or anything else is without evaluation. These are just things, cleaning aids, good, soaps, good. I think soaps, brilliant, but like that's enough already. <laughs> <coughs> Soap was a big step in civilization. Yeah, that was. <laughs> that was a I would really value that one highly. I think that's a great one. How far does that need to go now, you know? Clothing was pretty clever. Weaving, <laughs> you know, well, better than skins, being able to sew things together. Agriculture, that was. Pretty brilliant you know there are some extremely valuable things we've encountered in our lives as we've evolved as humans but we've gone way over the top I think about teenagers you know who are like us but just more so like exaggeratedly (laughs) us (laughs) extremely and you you know I was going to say, you pick up a hitchhiker, which is my experience of teenagers these di- days. Where I live, tr- we're all trying to minimise carbon emissions, and it's a friendly community, and so there's hitchhiking going on. And the young who don't have the vehicles hitchhike, and those who have the vehicles pick them up. So I pick up teenagers, and, and you know, first thing a teenager will say, you know, is like, "Oh, I love," and the next thing they say is, "Oh, I hate." <laughs> 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 oh, I hate the rain. Well, you better get over that do you, you live in the rainforest. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> and then all the language of youth, you know, and we remember being youth and there are some of you young ones here. It's so extreme. It's like, oh, fantastic. Awesome. Remember that word awesome came Oh, fantastic, fab when I was a teenager, fab, you know. It's like extreme. Oh yes, it just makes us feel like we have to something, have or get or show off about. Or it's super evaluation all the time. It's exhausting. It's like extra. Hmm. It's not just that. It's all in relation to me. Like the stuff that's awesome is awesome if, it, if I like it. <laughs> it isn't intrinsically particularly awesome. I really could care less if someone else likes it. But if I do, then it's awesome. So it's really um, an imposition of my trip on everything. Other people, you know, if somebody's doing something that pleases me, then I like them. And I think they're a nice person or good or something. And if they're doing something that bothers me, then they're a dreadful neighbor. Oh, how can they be so thoughtless and... Making noise and you know they're bad and let's criminal behavior them and you know it's such it's actually such an arrogance and uh this of course is gets it's the close relative of judging what is that Uh, zen If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Now, that's Mother Teresa. The burdensome practice of judging brings arrogance and weariness. Third Zen patriarch. It's a very arrogant thing we do. You know, imposing my particular values on innocent things. Um, But that's where we're stuck. That's where we're bound in this world, is in this particular point of view and then the pushing of that and up everybody else's face you know on everybody else's business and then blaming them for being the way they are and arguing and calling them wrong I've maybe mentioned this story to you before but I'll never forget this story when Christina Feldman told this story Um, it's a classic example it happens all the time and you may have even heard me tell this story here but I think it's a great one Exemplifies doing this. Two Irish housewives. Do you know this story? True story. Two Irish housewives walking down the road in Belfast during the Troubles eight or nine years ago. One's Catholic, one's a Protestant. Walking down the same piece of sidewalk with their shopping baskets, having been shopping, in opposite directions. And they meet each other, and it requires for one of them to step off onto the street to let the other one pass. And neither of them will. Because the other is the enemy. And they stand there and they just refuse to budge, these two women. And after a while, they start speaking to each other in insults. And then they start hurling insults. And then the voices get louder and then a crowd is attracted and people join in and start hurling insults. And they sort of take sides and hurl insults and see each other on the sides. And they eventually hurl more than insults and rocks are hurled. And finally a gun is drawn and a bullet is hurled and somebody is killed. All because... Of some value they placed on the other person's religion right to be on the sidewalk and a comparative story that happened simultaneously around the same time there was uh, the ice storm in the northeast eight or nine years ago now and uh, this was in Quebec in Canada two Canadian housewives had to go out in the ice storm. And uh, they had to go because one of them had a daughter who was in labor and she had to go and join her. And the other had a father who'd had a heart attack and she had to go and join him. So they had to get out there, even though it was not good driving. And they're driving down the same road in opposite directions and they come face to face. And they can't pass each other, not because of their own will, but because there's a tree across the road. And they need to carry on on their way. So they get out and they speak to each other. And what they do is they go back to their cars on the other side of the the, uh, tree. They get in each other's cars and they carry on. They turn the cars around and they drive off and go Mm -hmm. and visit the people they need to visit and do what they need to do. Because they aren't evaluating the tree or the storm or each other or anything. They're simply going about their business. It's completely trumped up. It's completely arbitrary. We put these values on most of the time. (coughs) Box ourselves in by them. Then you get these eccentric people who make it obvious for the rest of us. Thank goodness. They show us who we really are because they do it in extreme, like the like the youth who love and hate everything. And the English are full of eccentrics. You know this. The English are relatively conservative, especially compared to here. And uh, and how they can continue to be as as uh, conservative as they can be and, and still survive without suffocating to death, I think, is because they have a bunch of eccentrics who live out of all of their fantasies and, uh, and craziness for them. They have more eccentrics, I'm sure, per square mile in England than anywhere in the world. <laughs> and the eccentrics are the, are the funnest, craziest, and they, they just co- go completely off to some weird, and they collect things, for instance. They join the most bizarre clubs. They make clubs of the most ridiculous groups of, let's go and study something rather. It can be nuts. It's like, I know, let's collect plastic white snowmen on our roofs, you know, and let's see how many we can have. Or I mean, it's ludicrous things. And there's a very funny radio, not a funny, there's a regular CBC radio station but it, that is always phoning people in England. It's a, you know, it's a news show, but it's in the, in the evening in, England, in uh, Canada. But they always refer themselves to the English and make fun of some, odd person who's collected some weird thing or joined some weird club or done some un- unusually interesting thing. How It's kind of like Guinness Book of Records breaking. Anyway, I find the English really quite fascinating and, uh, and I find that these, having these various eccentric behaviors allow us to be uh, normal in one way but they reveal to us our tendencies and our tendencies are to want to collect weird things or to Um, want to identify by being a certain something rather, because we think that's important or valuable. Extraordinary values get placed on things that aren't particularly valuable. I've also thought of the antiques roadshow. You you know the antiques Mm roadshow? It isn't that the things that people go and show are necessarily fascinating. They sort of are, but the reason people go to the antiques roadshow and they like them is because we end up putting a dollar value on these things. And if we didn't know they had a dollar value, would we like them as much? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. Sometimes we only find it useful if it has apparently some kind of value. Anyway, why do we go through all this? It's a habit that we do. We think that if we can have the things which we think of are valuable, we'll feel better. And it's a habit and it's not true. We feel better by stopping valuing, not by evaluating and then getting the good things or getting rid of the bad things, but by not evaluating them at all. That's where the freedom lies. Let things be as they are. And the Dharma view, I think of as like the view that nature has. Nature, in nature, or any language that we use that describes nature. We don't go, oh, I don't know if that's a good enough cloud. <laughs> See how silly that is? You know, or this river is really a crooked river. I don't know about that. You know, Or this is a pretty peculiar example of a tree. You know, That's not how trees are supposed to be at all. Any of these extraordinary things about nature are they're all awesome and they're all normal kind of thing it just is the way it is in nature our descriptions of nature aren't words of of evaluation they're just words of description where do we stop doing that and where do we add evaluation look at your language when you're or just even your internal dialogue when you're describing something can we let things just be things or do we have to add Ascribe, impose extra value which is where we get caught in the greed, hatred and delusion. We don't need to. We don't need to do it nine times out of ten. So can we use the language that we use when we are in nature? It's why we like to go into nature. It's why I like to live in nature because it's a relief from all that false value. small value it's, it's tight to make something be good when it actually just is or to make something bad even worse when it just is so the kind of things which kind of behaviors which humans have the capacity to which is dharmic behavior is the kind of behavior which doesn't evaluate for instance love For instance, kindness, the parameters, patience, strength, they aren't good or bad, they're not right or wrong, they're just our behavior. This is where we can get bigger than the right and wrong evaluation that we impose on things. Is, it poss- is, it, is there any value to a smiling face? You know, is there any value? How can you evaluate when your child first hugs you? There's no value here. No, no uh, human value. No material value. The pearls beyond price are beyond our Imposing these false standards on things. So look at your consumer behavior. Look at your um, judging behavior. Look at your evaluating of yourself. What about our practices? So often people will come and say, I just had a good practice, period. You're in a retreat. You know oh, That was a really good sitting. What do you mean by that? Who says? here, one of the commonest phrases he would say, you'd be describing something and he'd say, so what? <laughs> because as soon as we, we don't go so what, we go so. It means this and therefore this and therefore I'm good enough or not or something. We've imposed some value on it. But if you can just say so, So you sat still, so you didn't sit still. So your mind was present, your mind wasn't so present. So you had pain, so you didn't have pain. So, does this mean something? We just add this meaning, but it's a trap a lot of the time. You've heard this, I'm sure, before. Steve Armstrong said this, the first time I heard this, it's brilliant. On a retreat, There's nothing like having a good sit for ruining your whole day.
1: (laughs) Because
0: you just endlessly, that's the worst thing about good things is that you've got to have them. And you think that they're how they're supposed to be. It's back to the eight vicissitudes. And then when they're not there, there's something wrong. Those eight vicissitudes don't exist if there's no evaluation. They're just, there's pleasure and there's pain and there's loss and there's gain and there's no problem. They just come and go. But we impose a value system on there. That's why we only want four of those eight vicissitudes. Because of our evaluation of everything. So what? (laughs) Ask so what often. Hmm. Krishnamurti says, Do you want to know my secret? I don't mind what happens. that's pretty simple, but that's very profound. Do you mind what happens? The reason you mind what happens, because you evaluate it and then you either want that or don't want that. Can you let it alone and let it just be present even if it's uncomfortable, leaving even if you like it? Can we let that be? We don't let that be, we struggle and a lot of it is begins with our evaluating everything so the freedom that the buddha talks about is when for instance the values dissolve so so say somebody's your enemy for some reason you're Noisy neighbor. Noisy neighbor. You go and you speak to your noisy neighbor, and you discover what their reality is, and they're no longer an enemy. What's happened is you've stopped being holding animosity to this person, and they're now just a person. You've dropped your evaluation, and then you're friends. You know, we think of those amazing stories. For instance, we hear them all the time in Buddhist circles of. Those extraordinary monks and nuns in Tibet, you know, who were captured and tortured for many, many years and escaped with complete sanity and a whole heart. And how on earth were they able to do it? And they were able to do it because they didn't hold animosity towards their captives who were torturing them. And we just think that's so amazing. It is because the tendency of course is to say, you're bad, I hate you, want to do it back to them. To not do that, to just allow people to be people with all of their ignorance, that's where our freedom is, not in this valuing, just as it is, without extra, valuations extra. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there, says Rumi. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world's too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense anymore. out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing there is a field. I'll meet you there. Hope it's helpful just to make you evaluate your own evaluating.
1: <laughs> and drop it.
0: <laughs> See the limits of it. See the dukkha. See the unnecessariness, the arbitrariness of so much of what we do and how it keeps us small, separate, unhappy. Thank you. We have a few minutes, please, if there are questions, comments. Yes.
2: Linda. Um, As much as I like your ideas, um, I I think that we really do put values on nature all the time. Um, You know, this is the deepest lake. This is the tallest tree. This is the oldest bristlecone pine. This is, you know, every state takes such pride in what it has that is unique. They brag about it. You know, it's on their website. Um, Go anywhere. They have something that they want to tell you about. And, um, you know, that's why we go places, is to see those things that are so special. And, um, I mean, I think we value that. That's why we're so proud of Yosemite and Lake Tahoe and so on in California, in this part of California. And so on. You'll find it anywhere. But to just go out in nature, just for a walk in the woods, that kind of thing, that's different. And I think that's what you're talking about. But people in general, really do put, I think, values on nature as a sales gimmick. Americans. So there are Yeah, there are <laughs> big differences. <laughs> so I mean, it's that's, that's,
0: w- that's how the human reduces what's awesome, as a sales gimmick. Yeah. And we do do both. But for heaven's sake, let's leave nature out of it. <laughs> no, we do. You're right. It's sad to say.
3: Maybe this means I totally missed your point, but um, can you explain why kindness and strength and metta are
2: not right?
0: Huh. What I was trying to <coughs> say in, is that the, the enlightened behaviors aren't um, contained within, in ju- within judgment. I mean, we try and we judge, we you know, we evaluate and put, turn nature into a sales pitch. And we do, too, when there's um, a, f- a fine heart. What I'm trying to say, though, is um, when somebody is loving somebody, there's, a just, there's the purity that's larger than good and bad. There's a, a, for me, anyway, my, the way my mind works... Um, it isn't about getting something, striving to be a certain way, a failing, approval, which are all evaluations. It, you, you know, can you approve or disapprove of love? No, it's beyond that. So it, it defies the smallness that, of of how we judge. That's what I'm trying to say. So those fine qualities which, which are um, attributed to wisdom and to freedom, um, blow off that whole idea of evaluation. That's what I was trying to say. Rise beyond it. Does that make sense?
3: So, so the word right is wrong.
0: <laughs> beyond the words right and wrong, yeah. One of the things that the, in the language of the Buddha, as far as the Eightfold Path, you know, right... Concentration, right view, right. I always change that word to, uh, well, wise or wholesome. So that we don't then think that I'm doing it wrong. Immediately, is it right, is it wrong? It isn't right or wrong. It's wholesome. Bigger than that. That's what I meant to say. I'm Lauren.
1: Hi, Lauren. And I was listening to a Dharma talk. On the radio, the other day. On the radio, I, yeah, wouldn't something. that be wonderful? Or, yeah. <laughs> and um, mm, who, whatever it was, they said um, something about uh, remembering how, in our lifetimes, we were all people, all things, evil, good, you know, righteous, and and. As a, you know, it was like a reminder to me, and and it, it immediately helped me drop the judgment thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I was, you know, maybe I was a really evil person. You know, maybe I killed, you know, in other lifetimes. And so then as you were speaking, I was thinking, oh, well, Did I then take that on as a different kind of judgment then? No. Initially, when I heard it, it 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 allow it. It opens. It made some space.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember um, when my son was very small. I ascribed to him, and I didn't know it made such an impact on him, but it made a huge impact on him, which he described to somebody else subsequently, um, the Tibetan teaching that if you relate to everybody you meet as if they were once your mother, it gives you that spaciousness. You know, like they're a mere mortal and they've been really generous and they've, you know, and so on and so forth. And it's that ability to see from a bigger perspective, which is why that sense of freedom.
1: And... It it also then lets you drop the aging's good, aging's bad.
0: Yeah. Because we're all babies. That's right. We're all of it. That's
1: right.
3: I thought of this as a comment, and then it became a question. I have this thing that I do constantly. And the best example of it, and it came to mind, was when you were talking about agriculture and soap. <laughs> is soap a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> soap made, primitively, was made by boiling lye and animal fat. Dead animals, caustic lye. Uh, modern soap is is made with chemicals. It contains phosphates. It generates pollution. Is soap a good thing? Soap's a good thing. Soap's a bad thing. It's a thing. Uh, agriculture. Agriculture removed from Great Britain almost every tree on the island. When when people first started doing agriculture in Britain, it was covered with trees. The entire uh, eastern Midwest of the United States was covered with trees. They are all gone because of agriculture. But at the same time, uh, most of the planet would starve without it. Modern, most of the planet would starve without modern agriculture except there's pesticides, there's the pollution, there's animal, animal waste pollution. There's nothing that's good that isn't bad and there's nothing that's bad that isn't good and my mind gets trapped in that it goes straight to that thought everything I see has duality to it and it's is it good to see that duality because I see the good part and the bad part it's not that I just see what it is I see the good part and the bad part in my mind there are good things and there are bad things so is it wrong to look at it that way? Should I be looking at it as though it were just what it is?
0: <laughs> uh, I hoped you wouldn't get round to your question. <laughs> <coughs> I can't answer whether it's right or wrong to see the way one sees. So I'm not going to try and answer it in that way. We see all we see all of these things, I think. The Buddha is trying to teach us that to um, what keeps us from being free, which is all of he's trying to do is teach us freedom, you know, is to see when we um, crave whatever it is or resist whatever it is. So if there's resistance to the bad, you know, and it's, and therefore we have animosity towards that, you know, we're we're judging against it or in some way, separating ourselves from it, we're not seeing it in its kind of matrix or the good. So if it makes us be ego based, if the good is making us then want something or want to hang on to something that's going, behaving in some controlling way, some ego based way, we're not free. That's all he's trying to say. Not saying that, yeah, there is there is, you know pollution as well as value in the various things we do. Which is true. But what is it doing? Is it freeing me or is it imprisoning me? Am I bound in my relationship to this or am I free? That's the point. Not whether it is or isn't beneficial and harmful simultaneously.
3: What it does is it makes me want to uh, relate to it personally in the right way. I want to relate to the world in the the way I should to be a a, a good human being and that's where the
0: hang is knowing what that is yeah. how to be a good human being so we have to be all the time asking like what's appropriate in this moment in this with this particular experience I'm having Which is why it always gets back to the same practice, which is a constant inquiry into how am I responding in this moment? How am I relating in this moment? Is there greed, hatred and delusion? Or is there understanding? If there's greed, hatred or delusion, then I'm not behaving the way that you have said for you would like to be free human being. I think that's what you meant when you say a kind of human being that, that you should be is, a, is an enlightened one, not imposing. Great debate, we can discuss this fascinating for, for ages. It's a very important area, so good. Yes, please, time's going by, but <coughs> I'm, I'm happy to stay here talking about this all day.
3: <laughs> so before the last question, I was wanting to ask, from a dharmic point of view, is, is it useful to say going out in nature for a beautiful hike on a great sunny day is a good thing, and I'm going to do that instead of staying at home indoors and getting some work done, um, because that's not as good, but then. I think you answered the question um, is, is the answer that if we apply good or bad values to these ideas, we can get ourselves into a bind and, and and make ourselves unhappier by trying to do something maybe that we don't really have time to do. The whole question is, is it making us freer or not? Is, is that it?
0: Well, the, the whole the whole point of our Dharma practice is about freedom or not. So it's something that may apparently seem superficially wholesome, you know, can turn out to be. We can use that as a, as a way to then blame ourselves for not doing what we should have done and be wholesome and get fit. You know, and, and we can use anything, you know, in service of freedom or in service of oppression. It's, you know, it's, it's not the thing itself. It's how we use all of it. The thing about nature, why I use nature a lot is that is just. Not to say it's right, therefore we should go to nature and learn these lessons. But nature itself hasn't got those limited human views, that's all I was trying to say. And so we learn a lot of people a lot of truth from being in nature. You know, because it's, we're able to immerse ourselves in something that doesn't have commercial value on the whole, for instance. So it's like, right, we can drop that, normal the way we spend our lives normally. You know, so much um, based on our own agenda. We could keep discussing. Is it okay to keep it going? It's fine. It's, I mean, it does generate discussion, which I think is a good thing.
1: Um, I can attempt to be non, less judgmental, and less critical in my own life, but as a parent of young children, I feel like it's. Part of my job to socialize them to the world that they deal with. So I do find that I get critical because I am seeing what they might, how they might have judged other middle schoolers or classmates.
0: I'm going to speak to you about children and values and teaching them what's right and wrong and learning all of that. But before that happens, I just wanted to say... Um, for those who are leaving, I just wanted to, to say a farewell and thank you. And, uh, and I'm going to just mention this now and I won't mention it next week. I'm here for one more Sunday. Um, but then I am going to answer your question and I'm happy to keep discussing this with people. What I'd like to say, though, is um, I just want to say thank you to those um, of you who are supporting me being here by giving me Donna in the, in the box. I know this is what happens every week and stuff, and it isn't usually discussed. But I just wanted to take the opportunity to say it's a very precious thing to be able to live as I live, just being supported by people's generosity and not to it's just an extraordinary thing to do. Actually, I gave up my regular livelihood a little under a year ago and uh, I just kind of allow myself to. Trust that this is, you know, this is appropriate in life. It's pretty amazing in the West to be able to do it. So I'm just extremely grateful. I wanted to just put that thank you out there. But I won't, don't want to talk about it again next week.